following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. How y'all doing? Hey, if you're late for this service, that's about all I got to say about that. Hey, I woke up, the, the old time was in me, and I woke up. Patty can't stand when we go to on a trip where there's two or three hours difference in the central standard time because I, I go to bed on my time. If I'm in that time, I still go to bed on this time. I'm always living on Tulsa time. Going to set my watch back to it because you know that I've been through it living on Tulsa time. You need to hear that song. That's a good song. I was on a plane one day, and a hockey team was getting off the plane in Tulsa. They were minor league hockey team, and the whole bunch started singing, living on Tulsa time, and I joined in, and they said, do you play for us? I said, no, I like that song. <laughs> that happened. That happened, and we sung living on Tulsa time. What a joy to see you today, and 12 o'clock, you look good. You're my peeps. This is a service that I went to the window of the church orphanage, and I said, God, I want a 12 o'clock child. I want a 12 o'clock service. And God said, if you'll show up, I'll have some folks show up for you. And here you are, ladies and gentlemen, seven weeks from today, we're next door. It's going to happen. I keep thinking, well, you know, you know, maybe it's going to happen. It'll be a rough opening, but it's going to happen because the guys are working. Many of them are working long, long hours in the day, and uh, they're going to get it done. They're just going to make it happen. You notice all that new siding on that building. It's going to look just like this one. Then we're going to do the around the whole church. It's going to look like that. We're going to have a beautiful gray building. And what a joy to see people work to make the house of God available for people before Christmas time. Let's give the workers a great hand. Now, if you'll stand up, I'd appreciate it. Good to have my friend Tony here. Tony Sapphire is in the house. He's a buddy of mine, and I, I pray for you just about every day, Tony. He is a, he's a hero of war, and uh, he's got his sweetheart with him today, Sophie, and I'm happy to have them. Good to see them today. Now, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk today about something that is a part of my life. I'm not going to try to form an opinion in you. It's not an opinion piece. It is a gospel piece. I'm going to preach the gospel today. I'm going to share the gospel with you today. And, and if you disagree with some things that I am going to say, please don't holler out and tell me that's not right. Don't do that. Wait till after church and come up and hit me or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, but, you know, this is church, and we need some decorum in the house of God. And the house of God is where we've learned the things that we need to learn about the Word of God. So I will not be preaching my opinion today. I'll be preaching the Word of the Lord. And so God is going to help us. He's going to give us strength. He's going to bless us. And he's going to bless you because there's nothing like hearing the word of the Lord and taking it into your heart and departing and saying, I was blessed today by the word of the Lord. I'm not a political preacher. I'm really not. You know, somebody said politics and religion shouldn't mix. Well, tell that to Moses when he walked into Pharaoh's throne room and said, let my people go. Tell that to him. Tell it to Elijah who stood against Ahab and the people that worship the God of earth. And he said, our God is going to be the one that answers by fire. Tell that to John the Baptist who withstood Herod 
when Herod was living in sin and he told him about it. It cost him his life, but he told him. Tell that to Jesus who told Pilate, all the power you have is given to you. It's not yours. It's given. And Paul in Ephesus who uprooted businesses and politics, tell him. And in 1830, Charles Finney, who had the second awakening of slavery and he wanted to preach and he started preaching the end of slavery long before it happened in 1865. I'm here to tell you something, folks. Preaching has always moved the world. The church is God's apple of his eye on this earth. And we've got to be taken away before the son of perdition can be revealed. So we're holding back the night. The church is holding back the night. So I preach to you and teach to you today a gospel that I trust that you will enjoy and receive. My subject today is choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Joel chapter 2 said, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound, it, sound the alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's at hand. And then Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who shall prepare themselves for battle? So somebody's got to blow the horn and blow it right and make sure that the sound is heard, that God is for us. Amen. Amen. How, many, how many understand that God's going to be God no matter what happens on Tuesday? He's going to be God. No politics today, just the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, a college football team starting quarterback was injured. Uh, by the way, can I do this again today? And so the second quarterback was on the sideline sick in street clothes. The only thing left was a freshman quarterback who also was the team's first string punter. He had zero game experience as a college quarterback. But the coach threw him into the fray, however, because that's all he had. First down, the ball was resting on their own three-yard line. They were 97 yards away from the goal line on the other end. And the coach's only thought was to get them away from the goal line so they would have punting room. This kid was an awesome punter. And the coach said, son, I want you to hand off to Johnson. Now, the name in the story is not Johnson, but I put my name in there because <laughs> I'm carrying the ball today. Our big fullback for the next two plays. Let him run up the middle and get a few yards. Then I want you to punt. So the freshman did as he was instructed. On the first play, he handed off to Johnson. That's me. But miraculously, Johnson found a hole off tackle and ran 50 yards. The young quarterback called the same play again, and once more, the miracle of miracles, the hole was there again, and this time Johnson ran for 45 yards, and the fans were going crazy. Two plays, 95 yards. The ball was on the opponent's two-yard line, six feet short from the goal line, and confidently the team lined up quickly. And the young quarterback took the snap, stepped back a couple of paces, and punted the football into the stands. As the team came off the field, the coach angrily grabbed the young quarterback and asked, what in the world were you thinking about when you called that last play? The quarterback answered blankly, I was thinking, sir, what a dumb coach we have. <laughs> well, at least the quarterback was good at taking orders. He said, run two plays and kick. A lot of coaches today do not want their quarterbacks making decisions. Even in the NFL, most plays are called from the bench. I wish they'd call some better for the Cowboys tonight. Now, obviously, I'm not here to talk about football. But there's an important point here that we need to see. It's about our relationship with God. God has paid us the ultimate compliment in the fact that he allows us to call our own plays. God allows us to make our own decisions. And when he created us in his own image, 
This was primary among characteristics he endowed on us, the ability to choose. Everybody say, free will choice. Say it, free will choice. In the Garden of Eden, God placed a tree of life. That tree of life is transplanted now in heaven. And when you get to heaven, you'll get to eat of the tree of life for the rest of your days. Hallelujah. And then he planted the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of life, everything they needed to sustain their life was in that tree. But when the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil was planted, the moment he did that, he gave them an opportunity to make a choice. They could obey his instructions and live forever in paradise, or they could end, eat of the forbidden fruit and die. He said, eat of every tree in this garden except that tree right there. There was all kinds of trees. I think we all know the end of the story. We're living the results of that failure right now. Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses was speaking to the children of Israel, the covenant he had received from God. And there was no attempt to overstate his case. He had no choice but to deliver a hard message to the people. The stakes were high. The very survival of his people was in the balance. And in the midst of Moses' oration, we find these critical words, and they're powerful. Deuteronomy 30, 19. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you, set with me, life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. What Moses was saying that at the time of the decision, what we were saying at the time of the decision is that Israel could no longer walk on both sides of the fence. They had to make a choice. And you and I, folks, are continually making choices, are we not? Some of them are minor, some of them are not. Think of all the choices you made getting ready for church this afternoon. Which tie, no tie, you took the latter. Which blouse, pants, skirt, do I shave? Nah, go with a beard. <laughs> Some choices are really not choices at all. If you ever get on one of those trans, transcontinental flights that goes across oceans and you eat about six meals on that plane while you get to your destination, you'll hear the flight attendant say, today we have Marengo chicken, beef burritos, or fruit salad. And after announcing the choices, the flight attendant might add this piece of advice. If you do not like your first choice, please do not be distressed. All our entrees taste very much the same. <laughs> Hell is trying to make a lot of things taste the same. Church and world. Freedom and bondage. Light and dark. Evil and good. But some choices are no choices at all. In rural Arizona, a man went to see the Hopi Indians perform a ceremonial dances. And it was a long, lonely drive to the reservation across a desert terrain. And the last 65 miles was over some very rough roads and non-paved roads. And late in the afternoon after the dances, the man returned to his car, only discovered he had a flat tire. And to make matters worse, he didn't have a spare in the trunk. But he remembered seeing a long service station about five miles back up the road. And after getting it, a ride to the service station, he found an elderly proprietor sitting in a chair out front of his station drinking a soda. And the stranded man asked, excuse me, sir, but do you fix flats? <laughs> and the proprietor said, yep. So the man asked, how much do you charge? And the proprietor replied, what difference does it make? I'm the only one out here for 75 miles, young man. You either pay or you stay flat. Or it's like 
Some choices are like an illusion. You really have no choice or the choice has little impact. Like the vagrant that was sitting on the sidewalk one day and beside him was a large sign that read like this, Keep my, I'm keeping my options open. Thank you. <laughs> then, of course, there's those life-changing choices. Like choosing to follow the Lord. Like choosing a mate. Like going to college. Choosing a profession. I read a pretty sad story about a a captain named Peter Townsend who was a World War II fighter pilot. And he loved and he lost Princess Margaret, who was third in line to the throne when Queen Elizabeth started ruling. And he went into a 30-year of self-imposed exile from, from Great Britain. He just went away. He left Britain after Margaret, bowing to the disproving Great Britain, said she had decided not to marry Townsend because he was divorced. He was 16 years her senior, and she was 25 years old. She made that decision. See, the Church of England frowned on divorce. And she could have married me, Captain Townsend wrote in his autobiography, but she would have had to give up everything, her position, her prestige, her privy purse. And he said, I simply didn't have the weight to counterbalance all she would have had to lose. Choices, choices, choices. We may never have to choose between true love and a throne, but we still have choices. Are we going to live for the good? We're going to live for evil. We're going to live for the church. We're going to live for the world. We're going to live for God. We're going to live in the enemy's world. You got to make that choice. And Luke 18 says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? I want to ask you something right now. Does anybody in the house still have faith that Jesus Christ is still Lord of your life? Come on now. You got that faith? Hold on to it, because here's the tough part. For better or for worse, we have to live with the choices that we make. That's why Moses' task was so critical, and mine is so crucial today. Please receive this as a message. I'm not a politician, never have been. I've been doing this 50 years, and I'm not a politician. Much was and is at stake. Israel would have to live with the consequence of their decision. I set before you life and death. Make the right choice, and they would prosper. Make the wrong choice, and they would perish. That's one of the marks of maturity in discovering that, that when you make the right choices, you prosper. You make the wrong choices, you perish. But if we choose right, we reap rewards. If we choose wrong, we'll pay a steep price. Can I hone in on some young people today? It's important for young people to learn at an early age that choices have consequences. They really do. In terms of their latest success, it's one of the most important lessons that a young person will ever learn. And adults who continually bail out their kids when they make mistakes are cheating their kids of one of life's most important lessons. And that's the law of the harvest. We reap what we sow. Sometime when you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. It comes back greater than what you've sown. So teach your children well. And let them understand that they need to make proper decisions in life. Can I get a witness today? Someone has put it this way. There are two major pains in life. The pain of discipline and the pain of regret. I will take discipline anytime. Think about that for a moment. As your pastor, I would not presume to make your choices for you. I've been a preacher for 50 years and a pastor for 40 of them. And I've preached a lot of messages and I was known as grace, a grace man when I was a young preacher. 
You can imagine how much that has stretched in my life now that I'm an older preacher. But not only is your pastor, but also your friend, I would remind you that there are destructive choices and there are constructive choices. There are choices that will make you stronger and choices that will wreck your life. Amen. And all of tomorrow hinges on the choices you and I make today. So Christian Life Austin, let's choose life. Come on, let's choose life. Paul, to his son in the gospel, Timothy, wrote this to him in 2 Timothy, and a servant of the Lord, oh, this messes me up when I read it, must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the evil one, the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So that's what I'm doing today. Jeremiah wrote about it in Jeremiah 6. And I'm using the NIV because it has a word that I want to share with you today. This is what the Lord says, Jeremiah said, stand at the crossroads. That's the word, stand at the crossroads and look and ask for the ancient past. And ask the good, where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. So choose what is important and then save yourself for what the important is. Choose it. Choose it. In effect, life is a matter of choices on the road to a goal. Choices. We have to make choices. I'm saying that word a lot. I know the law of sowing and reaping has not been repealed. So I'm bringing you two choices today. Number one, life choice, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. I've been singing a song all week long preparing this message, Come Unto Jesus. Give him your heart today. Come unto Jesus. Let him show the way. The greatest day of your life is the day that you give your life to Jesus. It's the greatest day. And the second greatest day is when you find somebody that you'd like to be married to that has a love for God like you have a love for God and God puts you together. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, and now is the day of salvation. If you have not given your heart to Jesus Christ, don't wait till tomorrow. Let it happen today. Let it happen today. We have had people walk out of this church house and go out in their car and find Jesus and come and tell me about it, get water baptized. I'm telling you, Jesus is where you are right now. And if your heart gets open to him, open up your heart to him and let him come in and touch your spirit and save your soul today. In perilous times, one needs a precious savior. Choose life, choose Jesus. I earnestly plead with your heart today. Jesus is the only way to real freedom. He's the only way to real peace. He's the only way to real victory. 
And I wrote this, no shortcuts here. There's no shortcuts. You can't cheat Jesus. There's no slacking mindset. Eventually life will find you out. The saying goes, time heals all wounds and wounds all heals. The choice is ours. I hope you don't think I'm sounding too preachy. Forget it, that I'm a pastor. But you know what the Bible calls me in Revelation? The angel of the church. You didn't even know it. I got some spare wings at the house. I'm here to declare something to you today that I'm not trying to go against governments. I'm not trying to go against systems. I'm preaching the word of truth to this congregation today. And the Bible said that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why don't you bow your knee now and not have to wait till then? Because he is Lord over all this earth right now. And no matter what happens Tuesday, he's still going to be Lord. Hallelujah. You folks got some good sleep last night. You don't have to live very long to discover this is the way of, that life works. The sooner you learn to make good choices, the sooner you will find lasting happiness. Pastor Tommy Barnett, I love him. I love his ministry. He's in his 80s now. Tells of preaching to a congregation that Elvis Presley said in many years ago. I kind of liked Elvis. I never had his hair but I had his lip. <laughs> Elvis was moved by the sermon and wanted to talk to Brother Barnett afterwards. He grew up a deeply devout religious young man. He sang gospel music all his life. And he knew that he needed to repent of his current lifestyle and return to his faith. But the allure of show business was too strong. And with tears rolling down his face, when he met Pastor Barnett, Elvis asked, what if I renounce show business and find that serving God won't bring joy to my heart? That's an honest question. That's a real honest question that many people ask. What if I renounce this illicit relationship and find that serving God won't bring joy to my heart? Or what if I give up this destructive habit that's got a hold of me and realize that serving God won't bring joy to my heart? Or what if I... What if I let go of this poisonous attitude that's destroying me with bitterness and hurt and pain and then realize that serving God won't bring joy to my heart? Can I say something to you? Jesus doesn't just come to give life. He said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Can I tell you <laughs> Can I tell you what he's saying is, I got some life for you with a little punch. I got some life for you with a whole lot of joy. I got some life for you with a whole lot of peace. It's not just life drab. It's life good. It's life zingy. It's life powerful. And when you sign up and go on with Jesus Christ, there is nothing in all the world that can compare with it. Throw down your attitudes. Throw down your relationships. Throw down the things that's holding you back and say, Jesus, I'm signing up today. I want life in my life. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice in that. And the second life choice is probably not as, as much fun to hear that I'm going to preach now. It's called the life choice of the unborn. 
I want to stand in defense of the unborn today. I'm going to make my case for the unborn. In Florida in 1999, somebody came up with a slogan, choose life to go on their license plate. And it's the 10th best-selling specialty tag in the state of Florida. Even now, it's in the top 10. In the intervening period that raised, they raised over $3 million for a pro-life movement, maternity homes, pregnancy care centers, and certain nonprofit adoption agencies. Now, I will tell you this, and we don't share it a lot. We don't tell you how much we give to missions. We don't tell you, but we, we bless missions all over the world. And we bless local missions. And we bless a pregnancy resource center right down the road. And it has helped a lot of things in our life. We have had young ladies that wanted to go and have an abortion say, I'll have my baby and give it up for adoption. There is another way. There is another way. And Jesus makes it. But take the four words of the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And state them positively in two words. Choose life. Choose life. The Hebrew language, just two words translated, means no murder. It's not the word kill, it's murder. In the Hebrew language, there's nine different words that can be translated kill. God passed over eight other words that means things like to kill or to sacrifice or to slaughter. He bypassed all of them and chose the word ratzak. R-A-T-S-A-C-H, which means murder. It always means murder. The best translation of this verse is simply, you shall not murder. And God didn't burn one of the ten on something needless. He did not chisel something in stone just to have ten instead of nine. This is not the same word, the same Hebrew word for animals. It's not the same word for capital punishment, eye for eye. It's not the same word for self-defense when Exodus 22 talks about people coming in your house. You're right in responsibility. Nor to justify pacifism, the belief that war is wrong. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3 and 8 said there's a time for peace and there's a time for war. And those words are different words than what I'm preaching right now. I'm preaching ratzak because God says that's a murder word. The Bible says there are some things that are worth fighting for and some things worth dying for. If it's right to fight when you fight for right. It's, it's right to fight when you fight for right. This commandment has tons to do with the family. With the family. Sunday school teacher was teaching the Ten Commandments to her six-year-old. And she said, the fourth commandment said, honor your father and your mother. I'd like to stop here and say, I may live to be 100 because I've honored my father and mother. I still do. I miss them. On days like this when I'm preaching about stuff like this, I, I get all warm and fuzzy because I love my dad. I love my mom. My mom told me enough commandments to get me to 10 heavens. <laughs> and my dad said, son, whatever your mama taught, I'm going to enforce. Amen. <laughs> I honored that. And so she said, the fourth commandment says, honor your father and mother. Then she said, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? And one little boy said, yes, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> I want to I I preach three little things here. My life has value because God created it. Genesis 1, 26, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Then in Genesis 2 and 7, the second creation, he said, Then the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Everybody say, God did that. See, we're not here, folks, by random chance. We're here by sovereign choice. 
And in the last 50 years, we've gone from Dr. Kaborkian to abortion factories. In some countries in the world today, euthanasia has become the law of the land. Is it lost values? It's easy to explain. I just did a little research and I wrote it down here. And this is just something that I want to share with you. Over 900,000 abortions last year. 74,000 a month. 17,300 a week. 2,465 a day. 102 an hour. And here's the reason that women aborted their babies. 16% said the baby will change my life too much. 21% said not ready for the responsibility. 21% said could not afford the baby. 12% said relationship problems. 11% said not mature enough to raise a baby. And 8% said had all the kids she wanted, didn't want any more. And there's women that have never had a chance to have a child. That if somebody would have just got to those women and said, hey, if you'll just give this baby a chance to live, somebody will raise it all the days of its life. When you have a choice to choose life and death, choose life. Come on, help me. Choose life. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what. Let me tell you what God said. He said, before I formed you in Jeremiah 1, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I consecrated you and I appointed you. So God is saying, before conception, I was there. At conception, I was there. And after conception, I was there. And Jeremiah became the prophet that God intended him to be in the womb. I'm declaring something right now. I'm declaring something. It's time for us to understand that we are not form, forms of animals. We did not come from the animal industry. God made the animals for man, but God created man in his own image and after his own likeness. And I honor all of you today because you're special in the kingdom of God and you're special in the call of God and you're valuable to this church and to your family. Give yourself a hand here today. I'm valuable because God created me. You know, the second thing I want to share with you is my life has virtue because God controls it. The God that creates our life is the same God that has a right to control our lives. I surrender my life to him. Why murder is so wrong? Because it denies the sovereignty of God. First Samuel 2 said, you don't have the right to control the life or the death of another individual, including yourself. That authority and that right belongs to God alone. Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When you think about it, a murderer really commits three sins at one time. He's a murderer because he takes another person's life. He's also a thief because he takes someone's life that he didn't give life to, so he stole it. And the third, he's a blasphemer because he takes someone's life when it was God who gave that life and only God who had the right to take it. This commandment prohibits feticide, which is the killing of unborn children. Let me be honest about this issue. There can be only one reason why a person would ever be against abortion. Because they believe it is the taking of a human life. And I stand here today as a pastor. And I've always pastored this church's Christian life church. I've always preached life into a church. I've always believed that this church is full of life because we have Jesus and we respect one another and what we are. You know, 
46 years ago today, had a unique situation happen. My wife, my first wife and I were checking into the hospital at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we was going to have our first baby. We checked in on Halloween, October the 31st. We thought we was going to have a little pumpkin. And she came out. She had ate the pumpkin. She's a chubby little girl. But the next morning at 7.30, the miracle arrived. But about 4.30 in the morning, 5 o'clock, we'd set up all night. My wife was in labor 21 and a half hours. And uh, the next morning, the doctor came in and sat down and said, I have some news I need to tell you, Rex. I said, what's that? He said, well, we probably may not be able to save the baby. But we're going to try our best to save your wife. Well, we had already had a miscarriage, and it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough. So there was three of us in there. Everybody else that had come in to have babies had already left, and we are still there. 21 and a half hours, we stayed in that room. We started walking. I started praying. I started asking God, God, give us a miracle. Help us. Give us a miracle. And at 7.30 that morning, the doctor came back in, and he took his mask off, and it wasn't even the pandemic. He took his mask off. And he said, Rex, your baby is healthy and your wife is okay. I'll never forget the feeling. You don't have to clap. Not clap. I'll never forget the feeling. That overwhelmed me. Because the baby was fine. My wife was okay. And that little girl is 46 years old today. She's sitting right here with her sweet husband. Jesus. And I said... I said in second service, she's the office manager now. She even bosses me around. I'm going to read that fourth commandment to her, honor your father and mother. <laughs> I, was, I was getting through with first service, and a, a lady walked up to me and said, Pastor, she said, I was a single woman when you came to pastor here and said, I'd had a son, had a wedlock, and that young man's a wonderful young man today. She said, and I got pregnant again. And she said, I went to an abortion place and I was going to abort it. And said, something told me, why don't you bless somebody with this? Let somebody be blessed with this instead of you taking this life. And she said, I had the baby and I adopted it out. I've been her pastor a long time. She never had told me that story. But I started crying when I heard that story because it moved me to tears. Because there is another way. There is another way. It's not death or else. It's life or death. And I, I, I wished I was Daddy Warbucks in Little Orphan Annie. Because if I was, I'd have a ranch, about 500,000 acres, and I'd take every kid that somebody wanted to spare, nobody wanted to adopt, I'd raise them all. I love life. Is it all right if I love life? Is it okay if I preach that life happens here? And that people can find true life here? And that there's hope in this house? You see, the Bible says don't murder because every child deserves a birthday. You know why? Because kids are God's idea. Kids come from God through parents. Every time I do a baby dedication, I tell the parents, you're just 
You're just renting these kids. They belong to him. And one day he'll call them home. That's a joy of mine. <laughs> Listen to me. I am valuable. I'm valuable. And my life can have victory because God can change it. That's the third point I'm going to finish with today. My life can have victory. How many would like to have victory? God can change your life. My prayer today is change our hearts, God. You're the change agent. God says to the people through Moses, I've set before you life and death. Never forget that scripture, Deuteronomy 30 and 19. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. I read a story. I love to read stories, human interest stories, victory stories, salvation stories. I read about a man named Mel who learned the hard lesson one day. Mel was a hopeless alcoholic, and I'll be through on time. He came home after a 10-day drinking spree and found his baby dead in his wife's arms. He said, I killed my son. I'll never touch another drop of alcohol. But two hours after the baby's funeral, Mel staggered home drunk again. He had taken the little white shoes off his baby in the coffin and pawned them for money to buy more drink. In utter despair, he headed along the Chicago streets. But on the way, the strong arm of a godly man, the leader of a garden mission, pulled him inside the hall where the gospel was being preached. And that night, alcoholic and suicidal male heard that there was hope in Jesus. He became a child of God and for the next 40 years, served as a superintendent of a rescue mission in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And from this base, he started 60 other gospel missions in U.S. cities, all designed to reach down and outers for Jesus Christ. And he counseled thousands of would-be suiciders, putting them on the road to happiness in heaven. Because one day, male trotter chose to turn from death to life. Stand in the crossroads and ask for the old paths. Ask for the old paths. I was raised to trust God. I was raised to love God. But most of all, I was raised to love life because every day was a gift of life. And today, I offer you two choices, life or death. I will never, what I call, vote for a party or vote for a person. But I always vote for a principle. And my principle is that everybody has a chance to live. And if you're sitting in this house and you have had an abortion, hey, you're welcome in this house. You're not second class. You're a child of God. There's people that have done horrible things that come to this house. And God's mercy and God's grace covers them. I'm just preaching today that this is the word. And I am the angel of the church and I must declare the word.
I'm not here trying to make an opinion point today. I'm here to try to tell you that the word of the Lord is the word that's going to judge the whole world someday. Irregardless what this world says, this word right here is going to judge this whole world someday. Do you love the word? Do you receive the word? Stand to your feet all over the building. Clap your hands real big for the Lord today. Clap your hands for the Lord. You know, I, I woke up this morning singing, Oh, beautiful, for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountains, majesty above the fruited plain. Sing it with me. America, America. God shed his grace Woo. on thee. That's who I choose. And crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. One more time. Sing it now. Oh, America. your hand and say, God bless America today. Would you do that? God bless America today. Now keep your hands in the air. God, I pray over this congregation right now. I pray for favor. I pray for salvation. I pray for hope. I pray for help. I pray for life. God, let us live until you call us home. Let us live until our days of walking on this earth are finished. And you say, come be with me. Let us always understand that our lives are controlled by you and not by ourselves. You made us, you control us, and you can change our hearts and you can change our life. And that's the beauty of knowing you in my life. Now bless us, bring us back Wednesday night for a wonderful time of hearing the word of the Lord and next Sunday. And thank you for the new building we're going to be in in December, Lord. Thank you for that building. We honor you, we honor your house, and we honor people in this house because every life in this house is precious. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. Say amen. amen. Say, I love you, Lord. I'll be back. I love you. God bless. Have a super, super, super Sunday, and we'll see you Wednesday night in the house of the Lord. And they just turned the lights out on me. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you all.